0: and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and I'm joined today by my two wonderful co-hosts, James. Hey, how's it going? And Garrett. Crack rock, crack rock. (laughs) Uh, Interesting you say that because today we're going to be talking about Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. Uh, This came out in 2012 and was his debut studio album. Um, I actually remember when this came out. I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, Thinking About You was... Inescapable. I mean, I heard it on the radio. There were a lot of uh, just a lot of buzz around Frank Ocean at the time. That was kind of around the time like when Odd Future was getting big, you know, the weekend and he, him and the weekend were kind of on like the same wave, I guess you could say, like they came up around the same time. So a lot of people will compare them. Yeah,
1: there, there was quite a, a kind of an R&B
0: revival at that point. But that brings us today to Channel Orange. Um, I do want to give a little bit of a background with Frank Ocean. So he was actually a ghostwriter before he started making his own music. Um, he's actually got ghostwriting credits for a lot of huge-name artists. Uh, people like Beyonce, John Legend, Justin Bieber, Alicia Keys. So Beyonce had was in the car with Jay-Z one day, and Jay-Z was listening to his Nostalgia Ultra mixtape, and she immediately contacted him. She noted his tone, his storytelling, and his arrangements as being really impressive, so she flew him out to New York literally the next day. Right off the bat. Huh? Yeah, no joke.
1: I mean, when you're Beyonce, you can, you can just kind of do that, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, he accepted, and they started work together on her 2011 studio album, Four. Now, Frankie has actually had a lot of, you know, accolades. Uh, He's lauded by a lot of people in our generation. And it's mainly, I'd say it's mainly for his songwriting.
1: So I I suppose we should define uh, a ghostwriter for those that don't know.
0: Yeah, so uh, ghostwriters are very common in the music industry. So they're basically people who write for other artists, whether it be you know, a rapper or even a singer, but it's especially common in pop music. And that's kind of where a lot of Frank Ocean's ghostwriting credits lie.
1: Right. And, and that's really been, it's not a modern phenomenon. That's been the case for decades. Elton John pretty much exclusively ghostwritten for. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yes.
2: He, he is a partner with, I can't remember the guy's name starts with a B. I can't remember if it's Bernie something or Barney something, but him and that guy pretty much write, everything that guy is yeah. in charge of like writing almost all of his music. I mean, he does contribute somewhat, but I say that guy is like 80% of his songwriting, if not more. Right.
0: And
1: I mean, even other legends like Elvis was, it was also the same case with him. A lot of Elvis's songs were written by other people.
0: Yeah. It, it's a common phenomenon. I'd say where people really started paying attention to Frank Ocean outside of the music industry was nostalgia ultra. So that came out the year before uh channel orange and that, that mixtape actually, was highly celebrated. Um, He released it for free, and it contained some really popular singles, uh, most notably Novocaine and Swim Good. And, you know, man, Swim Good, it it still holds up. I have, or I had a lot of hot takes about that album
2: until recent, or until like the last two years, because I was a little late to the party. I probably heard Nostalgia Ultra in like 2015, 2016, and Channel Orange, maybe like a half a year to a year after that. Up until recently, and within like the last year or two, I thought Nostalgia Ultra was actually better. I, or not really better, like overall better, but I just enjoyed it more. Still, one of the hottest takes I'll have is I, I like, oof, it hurts me to even say this, but I like his cover of Hotel California better than Don like, Kenley's vocals. I'd rather his vocals wow, on that song. Wow, that, that is a
0: hot take. Just because um, that song has
2: been ran into the ground. For I mean, me.
0: it is a good cover, though. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a bad cover by any stretch of the imagination, but some very very
2: ballsy samples that I wish we had more of. Just take that, like, oh, that's a popular Coldplay song. We, we're taking that, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. a popular. Song? We're dude, taking that. Man, Strawberry Swing. Yeah.
0: That that song is beautiful, and that's
2: honestly what I think that modern music needs more of. I think we need more of like just. Popular, really good I sam- because everyone's just trying to be the Kanye to find those like diamonds in the rough. Hell, rip out, rip out a good song. Take Hotel California. Who cares?
0: Yeah, like uh, besides- I guess I guess as an aside, but uh, Nostalgia Ultra, uh, Frank Ocean used a lot of samples, like very popular samples too. Uh, like Nature Feels just samples the MGMT track Electric Feel, and it still feels like his own track. I think the songwriting on Nostalgia Ultra is probably its strongest suit besides using the sampling. It really hits, man.
2: It's such a shame that's not on that because of obviously because of legal reason that's not on Spotify because I would listen to that until it was just wore out.
0: Yeah, he did get a he did get Swim Good and Novocaine on Spotify, though. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about today. After the buzz of nostalgia Ultra, Frank Ocean got signed to Def Jam Records and joined Odd Future. Now, he actually knew Tyler, the creator before this point. He didn't officially join Odd Future until around like 2011, 2012. And at this point, Channel Orange came into the picture. It's his debut studio album, and it's widely celebrated. I mean, it was nominated for six different Grammy Awards. Um, it only won one. It was a Best Urban Contemporary Album, but it definitely deserved more, in my opinion. I thought that was the best R&B album of that year. Oh, yeah. I actually liked it better than The Weeknd's release. Uh, what was it? House of Balloons? The only Weeknd album that I would put
2: up there as, that I enjoyed is almost as much as that is Trilogy. That's really it.
0: I mean, I liked Dawn FM. That was a good album, yeah, yeah. But um, weekend's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, he's definitely a, a talented singer, and we may talk about him uh, at some point in the future. But I definitely prefer Frank Ocean's vocal and songwriting style. Hmm.
2: And I will say that one of the biggest criticisms
0: of Frank is that he takes a while for, to
2: like put his albums out. But I mean, he delivers like really crisp, well thought out, put together albums. There's no. Weak albums. I think that does come from him just not crapping an album out like every year or two. Like he really yeah, just like he, taking his time with this. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to take your time, slow down, and just really think about what you want to do.
2: There's Radiohead and Frank Ocean on one hand, and then there's like <laughs> King Gizzard in the other. Like they,
0: Oh my <laughs> God, dude. I remember you sent me that King Gizzard track the other night, and I was like...
2: I was appalled. Bro, they they just throw in, like, B-sides and just anything on their
0: albums. Yeah, King—this uh, is a little bit of an aside, but, you know, King Gizzard, they're very prolific. You know, they have—I remember in 2017, they released, like, five studio albums. hmm And they were all pretty consistently they good. They were. It's kind of like uh, you were talking about uh, last episode with—who um, uh, was that again? Um, the guy who released a bunch of stuff, just, like, just everything he put out. Buckethead? Yeah, Buckethead. Yes. It's kind of like with yeah. Buckethead, where they just release everything. Like their B-sides, even if it wasn't like a great song, they still put it on the album. And they just basically live in the studio. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I wasn't too hot about that new uh, Gizzard record, but that's not what we're talking about today. So
1: let's (laughs) let's move on Um, getting off track here.
0: So it was actually so Channel Orange was released uh, July 10th, 2012. And in a few months, it'll be its 10 year anniversary, dude. That is crazy to me. I feel, I feel ancient, because I remember when that came out. Like, I distinctly remember when that came out. It was actually certified gold and sold nearly 1.3 million copies internationally, which is pretty solid feat. I mean, nowadays, the way they track sales is a little bit different because of the prominence of streaming services, but this was still at a time where physicals were more popular. I
1: mean, for a first, like, a debut studio album, that's, that's a pretty good accomplishment.
0: I'd say so. Frank Ocean... Really put together a quality project here, and it shows with a lot of the accolades and praise it's gotten. I mean, it was even included on the Rolling Stones like 2020 edition of uh, 500 Best Albums of All Time. Now, I don't remember the exact rank, but it was actually on that list. I don't take them as seriously, but it's worth noting. People pay attention to it. I think Martin Armby can be very hit or miss,
2: but uh, those two are him and The weekend have been have put out very solid. They are at the forefront of the conversation of the modern genre. Uh, 100%.
0: Yeah, I mean, Frank Ocean and The Weeknd and maybe there are a couple of others that I would say they're at the forefront of modern R&B at the moment, especially with uh, The Weeknd's new release, Don FM, which was a great record, by the way. You should check that out. Now, I kind of want to get into the personality of Frank Ocean a little bit. So he is very guarded, very private. I feel this has led to a very hyper obsessive fan base with the guy.
2: I think a lot of this stems from his um his sexuality in the community. Um a community in hip hop that's not very not quite very open to his I feel like him and Tyler definitely have struggled with their personality issues in this regard and they've been very closed off about it.
0: Yeah, and it's understandable cuz in in the world of hip hop and R&B There is a heavy stigma against uh, LGBTQ plus individuals. Frank Ocean was really one of the first people in that field to ever come out as bisexual. And that was a big deal at the time. I remember when that happened. And uh, I actually read the Tumblr post that he made uh, regarding that when it happened. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal for hip hop. It was a big deal for R&B. He's really set the standard since then. I mean, guys like Kevin Abstract... Uh, Tyler, the creator, he's kinda, he kind of paved the way for them as far as that goes. Yeah, definitely a, a pioneer in that
1: in more than more ways than one.
0: Because of him, it's gotten a lot better over the years. For sure. I mean, there are a lot more openly LGBTQ R&B and hip-hop artists as a result. And I think it's a good thing. Um, we on the Off The Key podcast, we, we support you guys. Of course.
2: Oh, yeah. And, man, Blonde had, talking about that fan base, Blonde had so much hype.
0: Oh yeah, because um, for a while people thought Frank Ocean was done.
2: I know, I know. Like other people, like Kanye and some other artists, have had like some like, oh, when's the next album? Is it coming out? Is it not? But man, Blonde was at the the height of that for like that few year span.
0: Yeah, so many different like titles came out. Like originally Frank Ocean teased it in I think it was like twenty fifteen, twenty fourteen. It was going to be called Boys Don't Cry, and then we had heard nothing from him, and then all of a sudden this crazy promotion came out this like website um appeared somebody tweeted it i can't remember who but it was a visual album and he had actually done that as a way to get out of his def jam recording contract so he could self-release blonde innovative this man really finessed the music industry (laughs) now it's hard thing to do
2: let's rank the Frank Ocean albums. Are
0: you really? Uh, dude, we haven't even reviewed their first one. What, do you mean? <laughs> what are you
2: talking about? Early, early, <laughs> early ranking
0: of... Now, have you actually... I actually haven't listened to any of Endless. Uh, Endless? No, actually, Endless is a beautiful project. I really hate that Frank Ocean marketed it the way he did because it's only available on a- Apple Music as the visual album or you can get it as a physical release. I actually tried to get the uh, Endless vinyl recently, and man, it's almost as bad as the original release of Blonde. I checked Discogs the other day, and it was like the lowest one I saw, and it was like near mint, was like three fifty. have three hundred. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anything off of Oof. it. Um, you can now you can find is it on it, YouTube. Yeah, you can find rips of it on YouTube, but it's really a shame that Endless is not on more platforms yeah. because it is a genuinely beautiful and unique project.
2: Yeah, like despite the situation, he didn't. It doesn't sound like he phoned it in. No, at not at all. Not
0: at all. I mean, it's, it's deeply underappreciated in my opinion. And if you have some extra time, I recommend after listening to this podcast episode, you check out Endless. I guess we'll go ahead and get into the album itself. The credits for this album, the actual personnel is a laundry list. So I'm going to kind of keep it simple on this one. Uh, Frank Ocean and Malay were the executive producers but there was work from Farwell Williams, Kanye West even. I don't think he did any of the production, but he actually mentored Frank Ocean quite a bit towards the end of the uh production cycle for the album. And there's there's features from odd future guys like Earl Sweatshirt, Telly mm-hmm. the Creator, and even John Mayer. John Mayer actually did a uh if I remember correct
2: interludes, isn't
1: it?
0: Yeah, he did uh mm-hmm. he did White, but we'll get into that. Um That's such a good interlude. It's fantastic. But um John Mayer did some of the guitar work. I know there were some there was a lot of live instrumentation, but it's too much to name honestly, and I don't want to bore you guys with just this laundry list of personnel credits. There there are a lot of people involved in this album, there were to a, say the least. A ton of industry professionals.
2: I wouldn't be
1: surprised to see
0: like Joe John Smith played the dishwasher and then, you know, it's just like it's <laughs> yeah. a lot. But yeah, that's always been the case for a lot of Frank Ocean albums like he mm-hmm. has a, and I think this is because of his Ghostwriting in the early 2000s, a lot of people back this guy up.
1: Yeah, he's in a lot of connections. Yeah, I was I was going to say, you know, this kind of thing really goes to show how much rapport Frank has within the industry. Everybody seems to love him. Everybody seems to love working with him, and they're all excited to come work on a project with him. Yeah, That's like
2: a, come on by, and you know, you drop in, we'll do something. You drop in, we'll do something. Come on by, you know? Yeah, and yeah that.
0: and Blonde, man. You thought, you thought the industry, like, credits on Channel Orange were crazy? Blonde has some insane ones. Like, uh, David Bowie apparently did some work on the album. Kendrick Lamar was involved with it. Uh, Young Lean, um, Beyonce did some uncredited vocals. I mean, this guy, this guy has made some serious industry connections. And I do think that is part of why he became popular so fast.
2: This reminds me of uh, some old school stuff. There is a lot of just looking into old albums. There's a lot of like Fleetwood Mac had a lot of like, kind of like connections like that. So there are a surprising number of albums where Stevie Nicks has like uncredited backup vocal work that you would not know unless you just like really like, you don't hear it but like she has like a lot of that so I just thought that was an interesting, like it's generational, like parallel. It's it's
0: more common than you think. (laughs) Yeah. It happens a lot. A lot of these industry guys work together and collaborate and they may not always bring it up or credit themselves, but it's interesting to note. I suppose we should get into the album. Yes, sir. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or are you sure you don't want? Uh,
2: let's talk about something else. We'll talk about uh, a Neo
0: album for three minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, let's uh, yeah. let's let's talk about the Neo let's, soundtrack. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Um, no, let's let's get into it. Yeah. So last time on the Blue Matter episode, we did kind of take a less structured approach to the track list. I'd say this is a pretty highly conceptual album and the track order matters quite a bit. So I think we should take it track by track here. I agree with that. So I guess we'll start with the intro. uh, Start. Dude
1: dude wakes up, turns on his PlayStation.
0: I actually think (laughs) this is a really important intro because Mm -hmm. it establishes one of the major thematic components of the album, like all that household ambience and channel surfing you hear throughout the album. It does a really good job of kind of Putting you in that headspace, kind of being comfortable and being in your house and just yeah. watching TV.
2: He and he really piggybacks off of what happened in Nostalgia Ultra, where it's the radio surfing and changing the channels. There's a whole lot of like comfort. So instead of it being like comfortable,
0: like in your car, you're comfortable like in your house. One of the major uh, themes of this album is, I guess, suburbanism really. The interludes, they use a lot of TV sounds, channels clicking. You can hear, like, muffling of the carpet.
2: Yeah, I love the way he explores intros and interludes and these little, like, minute-long, like, sub-minute tracks because, in my opinion, you can't really just experiment with interludes and intro tracks because, really, like, there are only good ones and there are bad ones. You know, there's not really, like, levels of intro, you know, because there are interludes. They're meant to serve a purpose, so... No one is really gonna like really criticize you unless it's like a really bad. And I've had heard some interludes that are like either going way too long or that are way too just like weird. But hey, you think he really like does that like kind of fit the yeah. overall. Yeah, I guess of
0: I guess what I was trying to say earlier is they they establish like a sonic theme yeah. for the album. It kind of it kind mm-hmm. of binds all of these tracks together. I know we're going track by track, but I do want to bring up kind of an overarching theme with the album. But that household ambience binds these tracks together. The tracks are. Not necessarily telling a coherent story, but it's cohesive because of the attention to detail that Frank put into these interludes. It feels connected, even though the song, song subjects and the story of the album may not be connected. Necessarily. However,
2: however, this is an album that if someone, I could see someone coming up, getting into, like, deep lore of, like, oh, this song actually references this. Like, I can see someone, like, piecing together, like, a crazy, like, overarching narrative from this. It's, if, it's like if someone, like, really tried to convince me that there was, like, an overarching story, like, I might believe them. It's so close, it's, like, almost.
0: And there there is an overarching story, but there's also a lot of points in the album where I feel Frank is telling personal fragments of his life, but through a metaphorical lens. Yeah, And that yeah. kind of, I think that kind of tr- contributes to the disjointedness of the subject. I do think it is all about the same subject, his unrequited love. It's told in different storytelling yeah. perspectives. This suburban rich woman that does
2: not love him back is just absolutely just mm, ruining him in more ways than
0: one. It's interesting that you say woman because I think it's actually about a suburban rich man. Oh, I could see that. Because um, he uses a lot of gender-neutral pronouns throughout his songs, or makes it really vague as to who the subject is, especially on uh, "Thinking About You," I'd say that is true. Fantastic track on the album. It was one of my favorites. I like how the soft string opening breaks into like that smooth, like comforting sense. Those delicate percussions, you know, that really slow and like quiet drum beat. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, it creates such a nice, nice smooth groove. It's, it's a really delicate and airy instrumental, and I like it a lot. Besides that, the point I was trying to make is the subject of thinking about you is left androgynous, in my opinion. It's, it's left open to interpretation as to it's a man or a woman. The only point that I think you could argue favors in one way or another is the bridge, that mention of boy. That's like the only moment. You could argue that that was just an artistic choice and not, a literal choice for the yeah. subject of the right. song. Cause you know, people say like, Boy, this sucks or Yeah, boy, that was cool. Mm-hmm. All the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's just a little clever detail that I really appreciated about this album. And the, the ambiguity for cer- the song.
1: The ambiguity certainly makes the song more relatable.
2: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, like back in like high school or whatever, oh yeah, I definitely thought about some people and like Got sad boy to the song, so definitely has (laughs) definitely carries some emotional weight there. I
0: mean, to be fair, a lot of Frank Ocean's music is totally like sad boy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love it, but oh, I've shed tears over Frank Ocean songs. Oh, me me too. Blonde, that that album is one hour of pain and sadness, (laughs) and I love every minute. The man
1: connects with you. Um, Sign of a
0: great songwriter. Exactly. I mean, Frank, Frank has this amazing, does this amazing job of really connecting with his listeners. And I think that's because he's telling these deeply personal fragments of his life and his story, whether it be in a figurative sense or a literal sense. Yeah, I
2: agree with that. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Now, one thing I do kind of want to mention about thinking about you that I enjoy a lot is the song has this overarching layer of like cynicism. It's, it honestly cracks me up a little. The whole Idaho line. and the Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the second verse when he's like, no, I don't like you. I just thought you were cool enough to kick it. You know, I I could, I could tell you a beach house in Idaho. Like, (laughs) yeah, like of course you're not going to get a beach house in Idaho. It's in, (laughs) it's in the Midwest. Yeah. It's kind of, it's just kind of like a little fun, like wordplay that I think adds a layer of depth to the song. Like think about you, when you think about it, it's, it's really sarcastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people <laughs> in
2: places of hurt default to sarcasm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a exactly. very common thing.
0: Exactly. Sure. Uh, like, think about you to me. is it's such, it's such a great example of Frank's songwriting ability. Agreed. Agreed yeah. Now, I guess we'll go ahead and move on into fertilizer. So this is an interlude that follows right after thinking about you. And so when I was doing research on this little interlude, it's actually a cover of fertilizer by James Fauntleroy. I had no idea. Huh? Yeah. I did not know that.
1: I mean, I thought it was, he was just making like a, what
0: sounded like a TV commercial. Yeah. I mean, it, it works so well because it's, it works great as like a commercial jingle. Yeah. Cause it can, it, it further establishes the precedent um, made by start with like the household ambience and the channel surfing. Right. And all the different analog TV sounds. Really, this this little interlude, it gets stuck in my head all the time.
1: Yeah, it's just a cheesy little commercial
0: jingle. <laughs> but yeah, it also feels like a kind of like a, a follow-up or an answer to thinking about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think he's addressing the subject of thinking about you in that interlude. He's clinging on to the hope that there's something meaningful in their relationship. He'll even take like a white lie or some bullshit from, from the subject of thinking about you.
2: It's rare for an artist to give interludes anything more than like just like a break or like a separation from one side to the other. It's very rare for them to give them any kind of meaning. And I think that's what we can appreciate about Frank's intro and his little interlude tracks is because he's trying to tie them in with the rest of his album instead of just being, I'll take an example. There's some interludes in the middle of like tool track and like tool albums. And they're literally just there to like separate like one side or another or like a really big thematic song from one. And it's just, just Mm -hmm. instrumentals that don't really mean anything. But Frank is actually trying to tie them in. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: It, It, it really like the interludes on this album are so important because they make the project feel more cohesive and part of the story, and I love that attention to detail from Frank.
2: Now, what is your favorite interlude on this track? Mine is personally White, but yeah, Fertilizer is right up there with it. I'd have
0: to agree, White. Baseline, I know. We're, I know we're White, jump, is, white is definitely. The best I know we're for jumping me. ahead a little bit, but White is such a good interlude that sometimes <laughs> I just go back to that song. It's
2: powerful stuff. Thank um, you, John Mayer. Yeah,
0: yeah John Mayer <laughs> did the guitar work on that song, and it's it's so smooth, man. Like you know, John doing that little solo, it's got a little bit of uh, reverb, yeah, and I mean, you know, smooth
1: is how I would describe John Mayer in general.
0: <laughs> yeah, and speaking of John Mayer, I just want to bring something up because like you win. <laughs> no, no. I feel like John Mayer is completely overlooked as a guitar player.
2: Oh, definitely. He's like Prince.
0: Absol- yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's like Prince, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like Prince was a killer guitar player, and so is John Mayer, but John Mayer's main focus is making, you know, popular yeah. music. So yep. I, w-
1: I would argue that Prince was a little more so, but yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, like they're both like, if you made like a top 100, like mainstream guitarist list, they should both fit into it easy, and I bet most people wouldn't even like th- think of that. Like, no, they can rip.
0: What, w- what were those covers you were telling me about, James?
1: Uh, he covered some like meter songs. Like he did Sissy Strut" by the meters one time. That was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. No, John, John Mayer slept on guitar player. If you ever have some time or like are interested in finding out, just look up like John Mayer like covers or just him just like jamming live. It's impressive. Oh yeah. And he, he was the perfect pick
1: for this kind of album for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. He, he's, he's such an expressive guitar player, too. And that's one thing that really, like, sets him apart for me. So, Sierra Leone. Yeah, let's, let's get back to the track list. Uh, <laughs> you, Sierra Leone. You, you had some thoughts. You told I, me some thoughts about yeah, this Yeah, I, I was discussing it's this a, with song. James. Now, personally, this is one of my least favorite songs on the album. Sierra Leone is a good example of Frank Ocean's storytelling ability. You know, the song details these two aimless teenagers wrapped in the fabric of love coming to terms with teenage pregnancy and maturing into loving responsible parents. Frank does a really good job of demonstrating that throughout the track. I like it. I don't like the instrumental. I also think some of the lines are a little too corny for my taste. It would most certainly make it on like a love making or like (laughs) R and B playlist. It's very sensual. You know, the, the beat is sensual. The melody is pretty sensual, but, um, Man, some of these lines I can't ignore.
2: It's, it's, it's also very like throwback. very like more classical R&B than like the mm. previous tracks or some of the tracks that come after it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely got that old school R&B style. For the, me, where the track starts to swell at like the 150 mark, it's, it's too much. It's overproduced.
1: Yeah, I get that. It's, it's that super cheesy old R&B vibe.
0: Yeah. And Smokey
1: Robinson and all that. Yeah. yeah. And while
0: I appreciate uh, Frank's kind of callback to that old school R&B style, some of these lines are too corny for my taste. Like the first example I give is uh, in the beginning, actually <laughs> we're spending too much time alone, spending too much time alone. And I just ran out of Trojans horses gallop to her throne. <laughs> Like, that's like,
2: definitely a Prince B-side. Like, yeah, that's like, definitely like a rejected line to Little Red Corvette. <laughs> 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 yeah, like that. That one. Someone should have checked him on that one.
0: Man, I mean, it it's it made me laugh, and it is kind of like ha ha tongue in cheek, but it, it was it was way too corny. And another example towards the end where it starts, um, where where it starts to you know pick up and swell, uh, where the parents become you know, responsible parents. It's uh, our daughter's reaching for your nipple. Cause it's time for her to eat.
2: <laughs> yeah. That come one, on, I just man, had a context, man, man, man. Like, man. Like
0: I remember the first time I heard that song and, you know, I was really into it. And then I heard that line and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> N-
2: like nipple just shouldn't be in
1: a song. Like the, the, Somewhere just shouldn't be in a it song. sticks
0: out so badly too. Like it's, it sticks out worse it, than anything else in the song. It is kind of a weird word to
1: put into a song, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just can't think of any other song. I've I, just, in. I
0: just didn't, it just did not hit for me.
2: But um, the strength of it is that, you know, I feel like even when Frank Ocean songs are kind of like miss, miss it just a little bit or like, they're not exactly forgettable because you'll have a hook or you're you'll have a line or you'll have something that just makes you it's like with the whole Pilot Jones that whole just Pilot Jones, Pilot Jones. I'll, yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I'll never now, forget that.
0: The song, like for the most part, the songwriting here is great. Like I think it's fantastic. like oh, yeah. He uh, he tells a very like clear and vivid story, and he's not like totally blunt about it either. There is a lot of wordplay going on on this song, but uh, the the lines almost get a pass because of how smoothly and confidently Ocean like delivers them. But they're some of the corniest lines on the record for me. And, you know, I I do want to bring this up, but Frank Ocean, generally he toes that line of corny and smooth exceptionally well. He's, He's a pretty clever songwriter. He's got a lot of wordplay, a lot of innuendo, a lot of implicit details that he uses to tell his stories. And I think it drives the point home more than a lot of other artists personally. Like a lot of these tracks I think are very powerful and it's for that reason. Let's get into one of my personal favorites on the album, Sweet Life. This is definitely
2: this is a, my favorite. This is an under, a very underrated track, yes. <sighs>
0: yeah, I, I never hear anybody talk about Sweet Life in like Channel Orange discourse. And I, I did kind of look back around the time that the album came out. And a lot of critics, a lot of like people on like forums just did not mention this song. And I'm like, why? That's so weird. It's
1: like This is the track that stuck out the most to me. Yeah, like this,
0: this, this is the first track on the album that really grabbed me. Like, same, I remember, James, uh, we, we discussed this, and that was the first track you mentioned, and I was like, you are 100% right. It's just smooth, like the songwriting, the instrumental, that first verse, man, smooth, yeah. clever, does a great job of setting the tone of the rest of the album.
1: Yeah, and like musically, I can definitely hear this being a Marvin Gaye song.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, I, can,
1: I can definitely hear that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, this this might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, I'd honestly call Frank Ocean like a, like a Marvin Gaye or like a Stevie Wonder of our day. Mm,
1: yeah. Yeah, I could say In that. vocal delivery. Especially, especially, yeah. especially in vocal delivery. Yeah, especially, certainly Marvin Gaye. Yeah.
0: I think Stevie is... A little bit of a stretch, a, but... A little,
1: yeah, but... Marvin for sure.
0: I'd say Marvin is definitely one of Frank's most like overt influences. That's not to mention, I mean Frank has a wide array of influences. It's it's kind of insane actually. And, and you can definitely tell from this album. Yeah, cuz you know, sonically a lot of these tracks are play with very different genres.
2: Yeah, like try to say while well, taking the vocals out and say, "Okay, what are the like listen to all the instrumentals. All right, what genre is this album?" And you're like, "Uh, uh, like if there's so much stuff in there, like yeah. the R and B vocals are what hold it together into one genre but the instrumentals are all over the place.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of impressive actually. Cause Frank really does a great job of playing with all of these different genres and influences while still staying in the confines of R and B. And I think like you were saying, that has a lot to do with his vocals, but also what we brought up earlier with the interludes. Yeah. To me, the yes. interludes are so important on this album because they tie everything together. Um, now I do want to talk about the instrumental on in sweet life. Cause I, it's one of my favorites on the old album. It, it really invokes this strong feeling of like a summer day and like a surreal paradise. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, yeah. really due to the imagery established in the opening verses, you know, living in Ladera Heights, the black Beverly Hills, palm trees and pools, waters, the water's blue, swallow the pill. Um, he's, he's establishing that like ocean, like LA beach imagery.
1: Not to mention listing all the summer fruits. Peaches, yeah,
0: mangoes, peaches, and limes.
2: Yep. Yeah, I like the story he tells It's just like, why do you want to like
0: having much ado about your life? And he's like, we well, you got the beach right here, you know? Come back a little bit. We'll come back to that in a second. But uh, the instrumental, it has these like elongated synth chords. And to me, that evokes feelings of like sun rays pouring over a beachfront on like a hot summer day. Oh, yeah. And uh, the muffled bass lines, to me, they sound like they're submerged inside the, the beachfront water. They have a really, like, bouncy, kind of muffled sound. And I to me, like, this track is one of the best on the album. Absolutely. And
1: the drums and the bass, they, all, they both lay down such a great, lovely, smooth groove that you can just kind of vibe to.
0: Yeah, this, this song is the definition of smooth. Like if you open, if you open the dictionary, look up smooth. Right Santana and Rob Thomas, there's that song. <laughs> there's that song. <laughs> and to kind of get into the subject matter of "Sweet Life," like you were bringing up earlier, this song, it's almost like Frank is challenging people who are wealthy and are living luxurious lifestyles to look outside of their paradise or their surreal like daydream and. Look at the struggles of the world around them. Yeah. Come
1: back down to earth. You have to really look at everything that's going on around you.
2: I feel like this whole album is Frank trying to understand this person's lifestyle and him just asking himself questions and kind of reflecting on like, hmm, like these are the trappings of this lifestyle. These are the trappings of this person that I'm into and their intricacies and their problems and just kind of like reflecting therein on that.
0: I think you're right about that. I think this is his way of kind of understanding and observing the listener or not the listener, the subject matter's perspective on the world. After Sweet Life, uh, we get into not just money. To me, this is just like fertilizer. It, you know, it switches in and it's a conversation with a mother lecturing her son about the value of money. It kind of juxtaposes the story being told in Sweet Life to me, it begins to establish the darker themes of like class disparity on the second half of the record. Mm, It perfectly ties in the two tracks. that's in between. I think (laughs) you are 100% right. And I know I keep harping on this point, but the interludes in this album are so important for that reason. I do want to bring up a specific thing about this interlude, the whole subject of class disparity to me, him bringing that up is kind of a, a soul influence. Like, Class severity is definitely something that is talked about often in soul. The blues. <laughs> the yeah, blues. Soul. Yeah, soul blues. <laughs> um, but that's to me, this is where a lot of the soul influence comes on this album. It's not necessarily the production and the instrumentals, but the songwriting.
2: And I do love the song that it segues into.
0: Yes. Uh Super Rich Kids. I love this song, honestly. It, it's great. it's it's fantastic. <laughs> I really love it. It's it's very ironic. It's kinda it's honestly tragic. Yeah. It's really tragic. It continues the themes evoked in Sweet Life. like this song is the one
2: that I remember without even really trying just the most lyrics to. Like I remember like most of this song like on the first like listen, like way back when I heard it. It was just like very striking.
1: It's really it seems to me that it's about like kids, like super rich kids growing up and a very privileged, very privileged lifestyle. And they don't, they're not really living a fulfilling life. They're just kind of coasting along, taking advantage of all these nice things and
0: stuff. They're disconnected. Yes. They're mm-hmm. disconnected from everything. Mm-hmm. And they're and, trying
2: very dangerous things to try to, like, feel, to try yeah, to th- feel th- that th- void. They're
0: on a journey f- to f- fulfillment. And mm. I think this track really powerfully demonstrates that. You know, a material lifestyle isn't always a fulfilling one. Exactly. An Earl sweatshirt, though. Yeah. That, yes, mm, I do want to talk about the Earl feature on this. His uh, lines. <laughs> I, I love his delivery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the I, lines are great. Um, a lot of like surprisingly complicated rhyme schemes. I actually,
2: the first time, the very first time I heard this, song, I wasn't really. I've always liked Earl Sweatshirt, but I wasn't really all that hot about his lines on this song. But after the. Like, the second, third listen, I really liked it. I guess because I just didn't really absorb. Like, I just heard, like, his delivery. I wasn't literally hearing, like, the words. But after that, I was like, oh, I loved it after, like, the second listen. Yeah, and that's understandable. To me,
1: it's understandable because I I also have issues with, like, absorbing lyrics on first few listens. It takes me a while. I'm more of a music listener at first. Mm -hmm. And then I have to kind of accompany the lyrics by looking at them.
0: Nothing wrong with that. We all digest music in different ways. Oh yeah. I mean, but yeah, the lyrics on this are very clever. I love that uh, <laughs> that shower headline in the first verse. You know, this show. Oh, it's she wash my back three times a day. Oh yeah. This shower head feels so amazing. <laughs> that that kills yeah. me every time. Um, but I think part of the reason, I, I guess, why you didn't re- weren't really grabbed by the lyrics and the vocals at first is. The, the delivery, um, it's kind of deadpan. It's really like, yeah, it's almost like hollow mm-hmm. and yep. like a hopeless, like longing tone from Frank. And even Earl, to some extent, like Earl kind of sounds empty and unfulfilled and as that, he's delivering his lines.
1: And that fits with the theme of the song perfectly.
0: Yeah, it fits perfectly. Um, And the song is just tragic. You know, there's this whole bit about, you know, at the end of each verse and the beginning of each verse, he starts his day... And ends his day on the roof of their house. And he keeps joking with the other subject of the song that he's going to jump, but he won't. And eventually, at the end of the song, he jumps off.
1: It's definitely a tragedy. While, yeah, you may have everything, it doesn't always mean that you're going to be fulfilled. You have to find happiness in... most, Most often, you have to find happiness in things other than materials.
0: Let's go ahead and get into the next track, Pilot Jones. <laughs> Classic. I love this song. This is the smoothest track on the album, besides Sweet Life. I love the bass. <laughs> it, 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 To me, it kind of feels like it's floating high, you know, with those hazy yep. electronic synth lines. Right. The sound effects of, like, the planes landing, you know, in between, and uh, that echoing, like, rhythmic snap with, with the rhythm in that, man, that bass line. Oh, you're, yeah. You're so right. <laughs> We're on to the next track, Crack Rock.
1: Crack Rock, Crack crack
2: Rock. rock. I just love his delivery. Like, he definitely cut his chop in a very. I draw parallels with his, another favorite artist of mine, CeeLo Green, where they cut their chops on doing, in a rap group, doing some rap and some sung vocals and like the combination of the two. And I feel like that's the same kind of parallel with Frank and Odd Future, where he did some singing. He did some like harmonious like raps and then like. Crack Rock is kind of like the culmination of that, like very interesting delivery. And (laughs) I just kind of like just ended that point. I'm like, "Mm." Yeah. I was going to say,
0: was there more to that statement? Um, Crack Rock to me, I think this is one of the best written songs in the album. The, the story being told it's harrowing, man. I mean, it's the story of this man dealing with the consequences of drug addiction and the isolation that comes from it. I want to talk about tragic. Yeah, throughout the track, you know, Frank uses a lot of, like, metaphor and heavy wordplay to describe the narrator's, uh, like, slow descent into the jaws of addiction. As his family life deteriorates, he begins squatting in abandoned homes, committing crimes for crack money. One of the one of the main verses, I can't remember which one, really, really illustrates this point. You know, in and jive in, stealing and robbing to get the fixing that you're itching for. Family stopped inviting you to things, won't let you hold the infant. You used to get a little cut up from time to time, but the freaks ain't trying to sleep with cracky. Mm, that's a, that's powerful. That, yeah, that is dude. that is a
1: really really powerful. That press. is some that is some real shit right there, man. And addiction sucks, dude. I'm it's, really
2: tore on this song. I feel like because of the subject matter and like the really just serious like plays brought on that I'm kind of glad there's not really like a like a rap feature, but. Man, I feel like someone from Odd Future like would have just destroyed this. You you're, you're like, right. Maybe like, like, like
0: a, a maybe like a remix or something. Yeah, you
2: know, like Earl or Haji. or I'm, almost even Tyler would just go just hard on it. But also like mm-hmm. would they could they keep the tone of it, you know, could they keep it So it's like I'm almost I kind of think like would would you or wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm. And
0: I do want to bring up the delivery of this track now it's a lot different from the other stuff it's kind of off kilter it's really breathy, but that was actually intentional um and in an interview with the New York Times, he actually mentioned that that was how a smoker would sing it
1: oh, and I think that yeah. really
0: that just really adds another layer mm, to yeah. this track. One thing I adore about Frank Ocean is his attention to detail. you don't always get that from a lot of artists, a lot of singer songwriters and it's that little stuff that really drives a lot of his tracks home.
1: That's really what makes the difference for between
0: an average songwriter and a great songwriter. And to me, Frank Ocean is a fantastic songwriter, and Crack Rock is a prime example of that. But of course, it still has to have the groove.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it's an R&B album. It's got to have the groove, man. Everywhere. But yeah, it's it's really the darkest point on the entire record and a personal highlight of mine. The next song on the album is Pyramids. And I would argue this is the album's centerpiece. But it's However,
2: there's also a problem this is probably the most will dissect a song on this album, I think. And because it has some it is very fundamentally flawed in base in that it's it is way too long. Ten yeah.
1: minutes. I,
0: I know we I know we complain about long tracks a lot here. But in this case, I think you could have cut this track by like two to three minutes, and it would have still had that same epic feel that Frank Ocean was going for for this song.
1: Yeah, this, this song has a lot of space in it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it has to be appropriate. It has to be used well.
0: Yeah, and I I do like the instrumental here. I think it's uh, oh, yeah. cool. It's very like, strong. Like pyramids oh, yeah. pyramids Definitely. to me, the first half, it's it's an it's an EDM track. Oh yeah, like, that's all yeah. It's about it's something you could yeah. jam to in the club that really fits with the the narrative of the song as well.
1: Yeah. Like isn't isn't pyramids supposed to be a, a club, like a nightclub? Yeah, it's, it's supposed to I be it. it's supposed to be a strip club. Yeah. Um, that's that's what i thought when i when i heard it
0: the song is essentially about a pimp who falls in love with one of his girls Because you know in the first half he's he's talking about cleopatra and how he idolizes her and how precious she is and all of this it has a, a strong club vibe the pimp himself is in the club watching cleopatra some would say she was the bottom bitch you're probably right about that. <laughs> The song switches around the four and a half minute mark. I really, I do think the first half is what needs to be cut down. Personally, I think it stretches on a bit too long. I think like the maybe, first half, is, yeah, is too long.
2: Not the second half. I yeah. I always skip the track when it comes to the second half. He's like, she's dancing. That and then like it switches. That's when I always turn. I'm just like, man. Nah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree that the second half, uh, Frank Ocean begins to rap on this track, and it's not the best. It's kind of underwhelming. I don't think it's the worst display of his songwriting, but I've just never really gone Frank Ocean for rapping. He's definitely a better singer, for sure. Than rapper. Yeah. And, you know, he's got some good parts. Don't get me wrong. Like, biking, yeah. the whole song is basically a rap, but he, he gives it a lot of energy, and he still gives it a lot of, like, vocal dynamic. And uh, his, his, his part on Odd Future is uh, oldie. Oh, yeah, and he can even do that kind of... Um-
2: harmonious rapping that kind of like that like like like, bone thugs like CeeLo Goody Mob kind of stuff when he he can cut his teeth on that when he like really wants to
0: yeah I just don't think this was a this didn't really do it for me a good display I mean I don't don't think this track is bad I just wasn't blown away like for this to be the album's centerpiece you know this 10 minute epic it didn't hit home as much as some of the other tracks on this track list
2: yeah at the end when we give our scores I'll give my like Two favorite tracks, two least favorite. This is in the bottom. Pyramids is in the the bottom two.
0: It's not quite there for me, but it's pretty close. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I actually did not have that much of a problem with this song. I actually enjoyed it for the most part. I do agree that it is a little too long. I don't shit on this song as much as other people have.
0: Yeah, actually, a lot of people did not like the song when it initially came out. There's a lot of like, I remember watching some of the older reviews like Fantano's review on it. And uh, that was actually one of his least favorite tracks on the album. Not that many people were pleased with Pyramids from what I understand. After Pyramids, we kind of take a tonal shift a little bit and we get into Lost. And I think this is actually a nice, solid like change of pace for the album. It's easily one of the catchiest songs on this entire album. Oh, yeah. Love that
2: little, love those little bright squeaky little sense that little yeah yeah. that that like
0: the hook is the most memorable on the album oh yeah so frank ocean doesn't usually play with a lot of like really catchy hooks but this song to me this song is really catchy it's probably one of the ones that i'm reminded of the most when i'm just going about my day and you know a random song pops into my head because you know that's that's just how my (laughs) mind works apparently Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah same and you know lost that it's catchy, it's sticky, and it's nice. But I actually think that is a big reason this song became a TikTok hit. Lost actually re-entered the Billboard 200 recently.
2: What? Like, recently? Like, within the last year? Yeah. Thank you, TikTok. What?
0: And it was all because of TikTok. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, I knew that he was,
2: <laughs> I know that, like, thinking about you and Lost were, like, popular on Vine, but I didn't know they came, like, back around.
0: No, they I came back. It, it, it re-entered the charts, which is pretty That's insane crazy. to me. Yeah. That is an aside I kind of want to bring up, like TikTok, man. Dude, it has it, a massive effect on music. It, it, it has had such a massive impact on the music industry. Like, I, I almost feel like musicians are starting to gear their music towards TikTok.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's that's kind of the modern thing. And you'll, you talk to any modern musician, they'll tell you, like, being on TikTok is essential. The thing mm.
2: is, what do they – it doesn't seem to me like there is, like – a sound that TikTok wants. It's like, they really pick and choose just some of the weirdest, like most
0: eclectic stuff. Yeah, yeah. dude. It almost feels like, so, you know, you, do you guys know who Jack Stopper is? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So one really interesting concept that I thought Jack Stopper did a great job of playing with is, uh, he has this, uh, album called Micropop. Oh yeah. I've heard of, it. I mean, I've listened to some of it and you know, it's just these little pop snippets. But they're extremely memorable.
2: What kind of milk were you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: she pushes you. No, she misses you. Like she misses a pair of shoes. Um, you oh know, man, getting little... my mom on? Oh, that's a bop, man. I listen to that like once a week. Yeah, and Jack Stauber has actually had some TikTok hits. Like uh, Buttercup. That was, that was a mm-hmm. huge TikTok was hit. Was it mm. Oklahoma?
2: Was that a TikTok Yes, mm-hmm.
0: I think so. It's kind of this idea of like making almost like commercial jingle-esque songs and song snippets oh my god to use for social media
2: oh my god we're turning into that movie uh what's that St- sylvester stallone movie where he's frozen? and he wakes up and they don't listen to music they just listen to like jingles like taco bell ads like they just <laughs> to, that's <laughs> all they listen to <laughs> oh, oh, oh my, my god that's I what do, we're becoming I even, yeah i don't even know. i can't is it, I know it, I know you're is talking it idiocracy
1: no that's that's no, it's not it's an, action,
2: it's, an a, it's an action movie it's with him and Sandra Bullock I think it's like uh, God I don't know the name of that movie but it's like he's like oh yeah put on some tunes and she's like okay he's like do you want like do you what? want she's like do you want restaurant jingle or like what he's like what are you talking about and he's like oh yeah like they didn't even listen to music it was just like come get your Taco Bell today and like that was it and he's like <laughs> his mind is just blown because <laughs> all like, they're doing is you? listening to like these like 15-20 second jingles of like oh my
1: god
0: <laughs> <laughs> no I I'm we're going to have to look that up cuz i'm actually very curious about that but that is a good point though like like uh it feels like music is almost gearing towards a uh, more uh quick and like really really concise sound like um i think a good example a great artist uh from kind of like the tiktok paradigm would be uh, pink panthers mm-hmm. she had this ep and it was really short it was like 18 19 minutes but man those those songs stick they're all memorable and they're all a minute and a half or less. Demolition Man, that was the name of the movie. Demolition Man, okay. Okay. And I do think that is the direction that the music industry is going right now. It seems
1: one could argue that it is the, cynically argue that is kind of the death of album, album music, album rock. Man, people people have been saying
0: that for years, (laughs) but um, I I do think there is some truth to that. Like a lot of artists nowadays are going towards You know, smaller EPs and just releasing a stream of singles.
2: I will say that, no, I don't like the stream of singles, but the single EPs, you get some really concise stuff with like a five, six minute EPs. I'm almost wondering if that will like eliminate the bands that like just put like some like filler, a lot of filler tracks on their LPs. And you know, it's like, wow, this is pretty phoned in. I wonder if we'll get more like real concise
1: stuff. Someone needs to tell King Gizzard to do the EP (laughs) idea. Dude. Yeah, you're kind of right. Um, it, and it'll it'll be interesting for sure because artists will have to actually put a lot more effort into, you know, what what they're creating.
0: Yeah, grabbing the listener's attention.
1: Yep.
2: Now, something that you mentioned with, you said, like, Frank Ocean doesn't really write a lot of hooks because that, that got me thinking. I was like, I'm a big fan. Like, if you're not going to have, like, really cool, like, riffs and instrumental parts, um, especially on some genres, like, you know, R&B and, you know, soul and pop music. It's like, you gotta have some good hooks. So, so I was thinking, I was like, Rink Ocean doesn't really like, have like a whole lot of like, real catchy in your face hooks. So I was like, what is it that really, what is it do I find memorable about his songs? And I realized that he has these little like, vocal snippets of him saying like, you know, like Crack Rock it's Crack Rock, Crack Rock. And then the Pilot Jones, is like that whole like, and she, and then she takes me home, Pilot Jones. You know, it's, so it's like those are it's not really a hook, but it's like it's kind of memorable. He, it's like a memorable line. He makes lines liners. that
0: stick mm. out in the listener's yeah. mind, and I think that's why he he's so memorable. Like again, we're talking about the songwriting man. He has such a great attention to detail and like certain lines and deliveries, and it it just really elevates this project for me. This project yeah. could have easily been mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Thank you, Frank God. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What what, what was that line on a future Free? It was like, I'm just a guy, I'm not a God. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the one one on blonde? He's kind of acknowledging, like, that everyone idolizes him. It it was pretty funny. But uh, anyway, I guess we'll get on to White. Now, we already kind of treaded the territory of this track, but I'll just reiterate John Mayer soloing over that really smooth bass line. Sexy. Smooth as butter. Smooth. Man, it'll get dark
2: going in your car. Man. Chocolate. Get mm. oh, that yeah. dang subwoofer going.
0: But unfortunately, uh, this leads into probably my least favorite track on the album, uh, "Monks." Monks. Yeah. Yeah. Monks is pretty forgettable in my opinion. Yeah, I don't really
1: have interesting
0: drum track. The yeah, the drum sure. the drum track is the most notable part about the song, but I think it's Frank's least interesting vocal performance. It's his least interesting songwriting section and
2: like i don't even have really much like to say like bad about it that's how forgettable it is just kind of like eh.
0: it's yeah. just it's just mediocre and it doesn't stand out and when i usually listen to this album casually i skip it every time
1: yeah and there's the drums they sound electric to me it sounds like it's either electronic drums that's being played or it's or a they're drum, being, it's a drum machine like yeah. a drum track And it's possible. It's programmed. Or they're just being quantized. Yeah, that's possible too.
0: I know we spent a lot of time on these other tracks, but this is the one that sticks out the least to me. Not good. You know, like Sierra Leone, it's got some bad lines, but it's really good. Overall, it's
2: very positive. Yeah, we're kind of nitpicking a little bit, even I'd say, but like mostly is not good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely
1: forgettable for me, besides the drums, but it sounds a little like electronic.
0: Yeah, it's... Even for the drummer, man, he didn't like it. Man, that's... Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm very partial to old school drums, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you
0: are. I've noticed that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. We all have our different tastes. Now, let's get on into bad religion. Ooh.
1: Mmm. Mm-hmm. boy.
0: <laughs> now, we haven't talked about it much, and I realize that now, but uh, unrequited love is a heavy theme on this album. And to me, Bad Religion is the culmination of that. To me, it's Frank finally accepting the subject of the album doesn't love him. Probably
1: one of the most difficult things to do in that situation.
0: Yeah, the song is
1: very dramatic. Down yeah. bad. You might realize it early, and, but coming to terms with it and acceptance, it takes a lot of time and a lot of pain.
0: Yeah, that's why he wrote a whole album about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it takes that to get over it. Um, now, I actually just remembered this, and I do want to bring it up. Uh, Crack Rock, it was inspired by his grandfather. His grandfather used to be an addict himself and would take Frank to a lot of uh, Addicts Anonymous meetings and uh, support groups for addicts, and he would hear these stories, and he found them you know, horrifying. I think he's using the, the idea of addiction as uh, a way to kind of like a metaphor for the love he has for this person. It's not healthy. Now, the reason I wanted to bring that back up is because in bad religion, it kind of plays into the same ideas. What was the, what was the line? You know, if it brings me to my knees, it's a bad religion. Yeah. Mm,
1: yep. Definitely a great line.
0: <laughs> um,
1: that stuck out to me. That, that one's,
0: It's kind of the same idea of like, is it really good for me if it's bringing me to my, down to my knees and making me cry and make me sad? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, man, I got to talk about the vocal performance on this song, man. It's, it's the
1: best in the entire record. I agree. It's his best performance for sure. Think About You is probably
0: a close second to this. Yeah, but, yeah, but Think About You really shows his dynamic range, in oh, my yeah. opinion, but, like, Bad Religion, those highs, man. yeah. As like, just pure range and performance, this is it. Yeah, it's a classic, and I think it's one of the best on the record. And now we'll get into another highlight of the record, Pink Matter. As opposed to Blue Matter.
1: Yes. We're, we're going, we're going <laughs> little, Even though it's mentioned in this song, <laughs> we're going full circle here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, man, that Andre 3000 feature. Hot take here. I think
2: Andre could have actually done a little. It wasn't overall enjoyable. I think he could have done better.
0: Really? I thought that was smooth,
2: man. It was, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just every Andre feature I hear him on ever since Outcast. it's just he hasn't really just brought that just... The energy. Yeah, he oomph. hasn't brought, Yeah, he hasn't brought that... Oomph, that, that trademark yeah, that, Andre, like, that delivery fire and, desire. and fire, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm. and Maybe I missed that. Maybe it's just me being a homer. Maybe it's just <laughs> me just grasping at pines, but, you
0: know. I, I actually... I was still
2: overall very, very good. It was still overall very
0: good. Fun fact about this track, actually... This was almost an outcast reunion. Oh, I'm, don't I'm edge not, me. I'm, 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 <laughs> Come on, man. No, no I'm not joking. The uh, saddest story I've so heard So Frank <laughs> actually contacted both Big Boy and Andre 3000, and Big Boy was originally going to rap over this too. I'm, uh, dude, I'm not joking. Who do I have to I, fight? I can see the shock in your eyes. <laughs> Who do I have <laughs> to fight
2: because this didn't happen?
0: So Big Boy and Andre decided that they didn't want to have a reunion on somebody else's uh, track. That makes mm. sense. Mm. Did they ever have that reunion? <laughs> no. Pain. Pain and suffering. We love Outcast here on the Off the Key Podcast. Yes we do.
2: I am very new to them, so if I act very ignorant, that is why I am currently in my Outcast discovery, I was, branching out. Yeah, I was. I was
1: going to say, y- y'all can speak for yourselves. I am not quite there yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am actually. So, I guess as an, a little aside, a little fun thing, I am putting James on a hip hop crash course. And he hasn't gotten to Southern hip hop yet, but I took him through '80s hip hop. Yeah. Uh, ni- right now, you're going through that '90s East Coast playlist, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm, am I'm still on Lauren Hill. <laughs> yeah, I gave him, I, I gave, basically gave him a crash course because you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of rap and hip hop, and we're going to be talking about it a lot on this record, and I thought it would be good for him to get at least somewhat educated on hip hop history and some of the significant figures. So I just made him these yeah. like, you know, five and 600 song playlists with like all the essentials and all the stuff that I thought was important historically and critically to hip hop. And, and so was-
1: far I have
0: f- for the most part
1: enjoyed everything. What's the thing you, what's the, I, now I want to know what you've enjoyed the least. I'm actually <laughs> curious about that as well. Cause I put a lot of fire stuff yeah, on that may- playlist. Maybe another time oh <laughs> yes let the all right then keep your secrets <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: exactly
0: okay may, okay all right, well, all right next,
2: next on the timeline should be if he's into like 90s like east coast next should be the like 98 to like 2000 like early 2000s southern playlist like well yeah no i actually i'm on.
0: actually doing uh so i did a west coast playlist yeah an so. east coast playlist and i'm going to do a southern hip-hop and an underground hip-hop playlist for the 90s because I mean, like, man. Goody I'm, mob, outcast. Nineties yeah. were
1: a golden was was the golden era. It,
0: yeah, I mean, like it's like. called the golden era for a reason. There was so much prolific and so many like legendary, critically acclaimed artists from that era of rap that it was hard to skip over a lot of them. So that's why I made four separate playlists for him <laughs> for the nineties. I appreciate it, man. That being said, I feel like a lot of people dick ride the nineties, like pretty hard. It's me on people. <laughs> I mean, I, I I do enjoy a lot of music from the 90s, but there's there's amazing rap from every single era.
2: Oh yeah, that's
0: true. Like like in the 80s, we got Public Enemy, you know NWA. Although I do think NWA is a bit of a mixed bag, but that's a different overrated. conversation. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait! Mm. wait what'd what you said a little bit overrated. Yeah, they're <laughs> a little overrated. Um, they they were they were historically important though. You have to say that. And oh I, yeah.
2: One thing I want to say is that like we need we needed more Lauren Hill in her prime desperately. Her it's life a, kind of fell it, apart, and it, that it is, is very shame. disappointing. It was, it was a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because her her stuff with
0: the Fujis was like killer. Oh yeah. And you know, Miseducation is a classic, which you're you're getting through right now, right, James? No, right. Or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, mean. I finished that uh, last
2: two weeks ago, and I was like, wow. I had a lot of misconceptions about that album and it completely ch- turned
0: them around. And I love it for that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a classic, dude. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's, <laughs> let, we, we
0: got a little too off track here. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I just love rap. Yeah. But I mean, anyway. This,
1: this is the kind of thing to expect on the Off the Key podcast. We
0: love music here. We do. And we want you to love music too.
2: But Pink Matter was very smooth.
0: Yeah. Pink, enjoy the track. Pink Matter is great. Does it really hit me? Does it really grab me? Like you know, bad religion, sweet life, think about you. Not quite, no. but no, it's yeah. still it's still a highlight on the track list for me. It's 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 got that nice like thumping bass. The, the delivery from Frank and Andre, I think, is just it's it's impeccably. I feel strange. like they
2: could have easily gone overboard and it kind of not fit the the tone of the rest of the album. They had to kind of like hold themselves back. Yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I
0: agree. We're actually winding down here. Now, we're getting into the penultimate track of the track list, uh, "Force Gump.
2: This is a very contested song. I've heard a <laughs> lot of opinions about this song. Actually, yes. I am kind of in the middle.
0: I, I it, actually it, enjoy this song. It doesn't song.
2: get saved to any of, I overall am positive about it, but it doesn't really get saved to any of my, like, playlists for just general listening, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's a bad track at all.
0: From a, from a songwriting standpoint, I like the song a lot because to me, this is Frank Ocean finally accepting the person doesn't love him and looking back on it, reminiscing nostalgically over the time they had together. But yeah, Frank, Forrest Gump to me is a nice, positive note to end on and puts a, a, a soft, you know, orange, cream colored bow on this album.
1: I'm very succinct. Yeah, yes. Nice one there. I see what you did. And then that goes
2: into the end, which because it seems what? like they've uh, the, the end and Varns going like really kind of like blend in. So well, yeah, could, I mean, yeah. end is
0: just kind of like the the follow up to Forrest Gump in the sense that it feels like one track. Yeah, for uh, but sure. and actually a little fun tidbit about the end of this album and the end track, uh, it mm, features sorry. an unreleased Frank Ocean song called Voodoo that was never published, oh. like officially. Yes, uh, you know that you know in the end when you hear the car running and those vocals in the background quietly singing the song in a dreamy way that yeah. is actually an unreleased track yeah wasn't it only available no okay. you're you're, th- you're thinking of golden girl okay um, yeah, yeah yeah that's we'll, what i'm thinking of we'll talk about that here in a minute but um end to me is a a nice way to close out the album cuz it brings it back it brings it back to that beginning with start where with the guy in his house and he's, you know, shuffling about and going to bed is what it sounds like to me. You know, yeah. He's he's turning he's off the down. TV, he's winding down and he's hitting the hay. His day is over. And it feels like an appropriate way to end this album.
2: He's cried over his woman, he's gone on the roof, he smoked some crack, now it's time to go to
0: bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there is there is an overarching story being told here. To me, every single track here these these 14 stories there they're they're parts of his experience with this person um, he actually brought something up when he was interviewed about this album and during the summer of his first love the only color he could perceive was orange it was this, the color that stuck out the most to him hmm. and i think this album truly encapsulates that right down to even the cover to me the album feels like a summer day in a surreal suburban paradise. Let's get into uh, a bit of an interesting tidbit here. At least in my opinion, uh, "Golden Girl" the bonus track. A lot of people didn't know about this track when it came out initially, and it's because it was only available on the physical release. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I hate that trend in the music industry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I really it's do. Bad. When it's, I mean, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. I mean, people have been doing that for years. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, wait
2: till we get to the Joshua tree. uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. I could rip them and I could rip you to a new one for the stuff they did on the track listing of that album. Disgusting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I hate it because Golden Girl is
1: a great track. And it's, it's just done as a way to
0: incentivize buying the physical copy. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a marketing tactic, yeah. but man, it, thanks it's, record companies. I I loved the track here. It's got like that Latin beat. You know what I'm talking about? Like that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's got a really fun and blissful story being told here. You know, it's kind of within the same ideas as the rest of the album, but it's it almost feels like an epilogue.
2: Almost hmm. feels like he could have like met someone new. Yeah, I, exactly. Someone that, that actually is, that like, is actually someone a that fantastic actually Smith. returns his sentiment and like returns like. His actual, someone that is actually healthy for him. Yeah. Like a it, golden girl, you would say.
0: Man, that, yeah. I didn't even think about that, dude. That is a great point. You know, the whole album is about him coming to terms with this, his first love, the, the first person he ever fell in love with, not loving him back. Golden girl is almost like a, like a post credit scene of him getting that closure and meeting somebody who truly feels for him. Makes man, him feel fulfilled. Gary, yeah, you, you, you good. Dude, you just blew my mind. It's a, <laughs> and it's a good. It should be been yeah, on no the man. end. Of, it should yeah. totally Talk man. about a
1: happy ending. Yeah, it, and it, it deserved it.
0: It really, man, the Golden Girl really sends this, it really sends it home for me. And I hate that it's not included on the main streaming version. Oh, we didn't even get to the Tyler part. I didn't even think about that. So, in the second half of Golden Girl, uh, well, the first half is kind of like this nice Latin beat. You know, Frank is talking about how he's having fun and in this island paradise with this girl he met. And uh, the, the tone of the, or the song switches into this darker mood. Um, it still has that same like piano melody like that. But it turns way down. Uh, Tyler, the creator comes in and starts rapping this really, in this really dark, like pitch shifted tone. Kind of a common Tyler tone. To yeah. Be <laughs> Pretty common.
1: Goblin-esque. Yeah.
0: <laughs> very Goblin-esque. But I'm I I very mean, into that. Problem. Well, Gob- Goblin came out around the time that yeah. this record was produced, if I remember correctly. I think so. What was it like? Twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. I think yeah. it was, I think it was twenty thirteen. I actually like the guy. I, I like the Tyler feature on here a lot. Oh yeah. Um. Anything. Anyone from Odd Future, I think, is a really good
2: pairing for Frank, just because of how they just collaborated and how they're they're just in, intimate with each other's songwriting processes.
0: Yeah, yeah. They all know each other really well, so as a result, they complement each other exceptionally well.
1: Twenty eleven.
0: But also, but also, um. Uh, Frank and Tyler are actually very close friends. That's Channel Orange, man. Fantastic album. I guess now would be a good time to get into our final thoughts now that we're done with the record. I think Channel Orange does a great job of blending numerous musical styles and influences while staying within the confines of R&B. I feel it is what contributes to the album's unconventional style. Uh, Frank plays with a lot of different genres, a lot of different styles, and has a really wide array of influences on this album, and it shows. And even though the stories that are told may at times feel disjointed, I think sonically they feel uniform thanks to Frank's careful attention to detail with everything surrounding these tracks. Uh, He actually brought up in an interview when he was asked about Channel Orange, it's about the stories. If I write 14 stories that I love, then the next step is to get the environment of the music to best- envelop the story in all kinds of sonic goodness. And on top of that, Frank is an incredible storyteller. He paints these deeply vivid and powerful stories through the heavy use of implication, dry wit, and personal experiences, along with the experiences of those surrounding him. And I think that's where the potence of Frank Ocean's songwriting comes in. His ability to tell these deeply fragmented stories with these implicit details accompanied by like a high level of wordplay in songwriting. Even on darker tracks like Crack Rock and Pyramids, there's still that trademark Frankie wit. Now, while Channel Orange may have a dull moment or two during its 55-minute runtime, I can confidently say it is a joy to listen to from start to finish. Frank has put together a truly detailed, cohesive An undeniably smooth R&B album that will have you dreaming about romantic summers on the beachfront for years to come. It's aged like fine wine in the past decade, and in a few more years, I think it'll be seen as a classic. So I'm going to go ahead and give this a rating of 8.5. Is it perfect? Not quite, but it's so consistently good with so many high points that it's hard not to give this a high score. Personal highlights, thinking about you, Sweet Life, Super Rich Kids, Pilot Jones, Crack Rock, Lost. I mean, the list goes on. Bad Religion, Pink Matter, Forrest Gump, Golden Girl, a whole massively good crop of tracks here.
2: Crop of trucks.
0: Crop of trucks, yes.
2: My final review of this album, personally, subjectively, and completely biased, is an 8.5 out of 10. I think it was very good. I mean, it was a very great album. Only some forgettable tracks and some choices on some tracks like Pyramid, like Pyramid's Length, Monk's, wasn't really hitting on much. Um, Those kept it from really being, really just being like the upper echelon of upper echelon, but I think it's my favorite R&B album of like post-2000. So far now, I will admit that I haven't really explored the genre like I probably should have like others have, but that's what I am doing now. That's what, uh, what growth and progress is all about. And I will say my favorite tracks on this are crack rock. Um, thinking about you and pilot Jones.
1: I believe this album has really shown that R and B is not dead as a genre. It is very much reminds me of the old classic R and B of the 70s, 60s and 70s. It really makes me think of what's going on with Marvin Gaye and, Frank Ocean has shown that he deserves to be in the same conversation as Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and Curtis Mayfield all all those classic excellent R&B and soul and, gr- and funk artists like he's right there and he deserves to be in the same conversation and this album proves it just the songwriting alone propels this up into the sky you know not to mention the music and the production just everything works so well with this album and I would, I would give it at least an eight and a half and that's my personal rating.
0: Wow. Uh, I think this is the first time we have universally agreed on the score. <laughs> Unanimous, yeah. might be the last time too Unanimously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. we'll see, <laughs> we'll, but, yeah. uh, this was a good album for all of us to enjoy. Everybody who's listening to this podcast could, should go check it out if they haven't heard it before. It's fantastic. It's a great R and B album and it's a good experience from start to finish with a few bumps in the road, but not many. Just just pull up Spotify or
1: Apple Music or whatever you use, type it in the search bar, and enjoy.
0: And with that, I guess we'll close out. Any final thoughts, guys? Nope. All good. This is Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. shout out to Lucrembo for the intro and outro music. I'm going to put his channel link in the YouTube version of this video, but for those on streaming services, it is spelled L-U-K-R-E-M-B-O. Please go check him out. Thanks guys.